from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. On November 3rd, Portlanders will make an important decision whether to reelect Mayor Ted Wheeler to a second term or give his opponent, urban policy consultant and community organizer Sarah Iannarone, a chance to lead the city. Let's take a look at the race. Ted, your time is up. This isn't Sarah Iannarone's first race against Ted Wheeler. She ran against him in 2016 and finished third behind Wheeler and former Multnomah County Commissioner Jules Bailey. She got 12% of the vote. But now, four years later, a rematch. In the May primary, in a crowded field of 18 others, she got 24% of the vote. Wheeler narrowly missed the 50% plus one threshold to avoid a runoff. If elected in November, Iana Rome would become the fourth woman in Portland history to lead the city as mayor. And Wheeler would become the fourth one-term mayor since Vera Katz was elected to three terms. Iana Rome says she has a different approach and believes it's time for a change at City Hall. Mayor Wheeler was our guest last week here on Straight Talk, and now I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, Portland mayoral candidate Sarah Iannarone. Welcome to Straight Talk. It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you, Laurel. Thanks for having me. I hope you're well. I'm doing great. And I want to let our viewers know we're taping this on Thursday afternoon, so things could change. Things are fluid. And because we have a limited amount of time, I may jump in from time to time because we have so much to talk about. So let's begin with your qualifications, Sarah. You don't have any elected experience. How can you assure voters you're qualified and ready to lead Portland, a city with a budget of about $5.5 billion at a very complex time in the city history? It's such an important question, Laurel. Thank you for asking it. For those who don't know me, my name is Sarah Iannaron, as you said, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm not a career politician. I'm a working class mom, and I don't have the safety net of inherited wealth. That's my first qualification for being mayor at this critical time. I'm a small business founder and a global expert in what makes cities great. I'm a proud graduate of Portland State University, and I'm so grateful for all the ways that that institution has prepared me for this moment. I've spent the last decade educating leaders from around the world about how they can make cities work better in their places, learning what's going on, what's working, what's not there, and particularly climate resilience. I know that smart climate policy is holistic, that it includes understanding a broad range of issues like housing and transportation, congestion and affordability, stagnant wages, and even how we get our kids graduated from school. So on these issues, as well as police reform and the COVID recovery, I'm prepared to hit the ground running on day one, applying the ideas that our people are already working on at the grassroots level, as well as the best ideas from around the world. We'll but dig beyond into, this technical expertise is something, oh, go ahead. Uh, we'll dig into some of those issues in a minute, but let me move on here because I want to ask yeah. you about Commissioner Hardesty. She's endorsed Mayor Wheeler, although they've had very public disagreements about policing and his handling of protests. Commissioner Hardesty said that this city can't take another one-term mayor. Let's listen to what she said. I do. I, I do for many reasons, primarily because I do not believe Portland can stand one more one-term mayor. And because you can't get anything done in four years, you can think you know what you're gonna do until you get inside city hall. And that's certainly been my experience. 
there were things that I thought made perfect sense when I was outside advocating. I get inside City Hall and it makes no sense at all. So what I know is that it takes time to really understand the bureaus that you're responsible for. And it takes time to move institutions. What do you think about her position that the city can't take another one-term mayor up? We've, we've already had three. And that it takes time to complete projects and the transformations they've already begun. Well, if a mayor can't be effective in four years, I'm not sure we should sign up for another eight years. As an engaged community member, I always appreciate Commissioner Hardesty's hard work. And she's put in a lot of work uh, to bring the incumbent up to speed. She's gotten him to listen to women and our community a little bit more than he was before. And I'm guessing that, that maybe she's thinking he's starting to get it. I don't want to speculate. I respect her deeply. And in fact, I wrote an op-ed piece a while back suggesting that the mayor make her police commissioner. And she recently called for that. But my learning curve on the job isn't going to be as steep as Mayor Wheeler's was because I'm already listening to community. My entire campaign is built on listening to community. And even people who want to talk to me right now can sign up for 10 minutes uh, via the website and I'll pick up the phone and talk with any Portlander who wants to talk with me. So Commissioner Hardesty is an incredible leader and I really look forward to working with her um, as the next mayor of Portland. Well, let's talk about what you would do to help achieve the Black Lives Matter agenda. Mayor Wheeler and Commissioner Hardesty and the council have already done a number of things that you advocate for in your rethinking public safety plan. I'll mention just some of them. They've cut the police budget by 15 million. They've added funding to the Portland Street response team. They've eliminated the gun violence reduction team, removed school resource officers from schools, referred a ballot measure to voters for a new independent police oversight system. And additionally, the Oregon legislature in its special session coming up this month may take up proposals to demilitarize the police and strengthen the state's fair housing laws. What reforms are important to you that are left that you would push for if you're elected mayor? So thanks for noting that Rethinking Public Safety Plan, which people can find on my website at sarah2020.com. It's important to note that I was calling for those things before we had tens of thousands of people demanding them in the streets. And now that we have these protesters out every night demanding change, our leaders need to go further faster. Right now, all 50 states are failing to comply with UN recommendations on use of lethal force. So we need to bring Portland into alignment with those international standards on police use of force immediately. But what we really need to do is stop throwing good money after bad. The police budget continues to go up. This recent cut barely gets us back to where we were when Wheeler took office, and we have not had better outcomes on his watch. We're seeing a frightening increase of murders recently, but I know that, that, that violence isn't happening in a vacuum. People are hurting out here, and we need to make intense investments based on what the community is demanding. Listen. I don't want to fund tear gas. I want to fund Programs. Let me let me jump in here and ask you about you say that that just barely that cut of 15 million barely touches the surface. How much would you cut if you were mayor? I'm going to let the community lead because this is an amazingly easy time to be an elected official. You've got communities in the streets telling you what they want and what they asked for is a drawdown of 50 million dollars with that money put towards things like Portland Street response. They want that put toward making sure that our students have the services that they need to survive, even when they're not inside classrooms this fall. We need to make sure 
that we have programs in place, mentorship programs for returning citizens, people who have been formerly incarcerated, domestic violence survivors. I want to make sure that the waste we're spending our money actually prevent people from being harmed and increase the health and well-being of and you mentioned uh, all the homicides that we've had and all the shootings. There were 15 homicides in Portland in July, a 30-year high, and 99 shooting incidents. That was compared to 35 last year. The police chief this week said disbanding the gun violence reduction team was a mistake. If you're mayor, would you consider bringing it back? And if not, what would you replace it with to try to, to bring down gun violence? I was actually just talking with youth of color this morning on a Zoom call about this very question. They're working on the issue for a long time, trying to actually get the gun violence reduction team dismantled and to get the resource officers out of schools. And what they want is they want the youth in their community funded through, they even used an example of a community peace officer or a community health officer. They don't want armed law enforcement addressing these problems. They want people from the community who live in the community. 82% of Portland police officers don't even live in our city. They want people who know their community in their community, um, working with the people, getting to know them, making sure that no one is falling beneath the cracks, making sure that we're not criminalizing people unnecessarily and that we're getting them the help and assistance they need to actually make progress on their lives. We know that once these youth end up in the criminal justice systems, their life chances diminish greatly even from um, that interface with the criminal justice system. That's what I'm hearing from the young people. That's what I'm hearing from Black Portlanders and communities of color. And so I'm going to support them in those demands. Top of mind for a lot of Portlanders is what we're seeing happening every night, 70 plus nights of protests. Police Chief Lavelle is asking the community to denounce the late night protests, the smaller group of protesters who are causing damage, setting fires, throwing bricks at officers. He and other black community leaders and activists say it's taking away from the Black Lives Matter message. And I want to read a couple of things that Chief Lavelle talked about in his New York Times editorial. He cited how people broke into the Justice Center, destroyed the first floor interior. This was May 29th. Lit fires with people inside the building. There was looting and destruction. Another night, individuals screwed the doors of the North Precinct building shut. Barricaded entrances, lit fires with people inside. Nearby businesses, some owned by people of color, were damaged and looted. Some protesters have shot off commercial grade fireworks. And Wednesday night, which would have been last night, we saw more fires set outside the East Precinct. Uh, do you denounce this kind of behavior separate from the larger, more peaceful protests, Sarah? They say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of care. I would have to go back prior to this uprising to work on the issues that are causing these folks to be angry in the streets, working on police accountability more aggressively uh, for the killing of Kwanis Hayes and countless others. And so I know that nobody controls a social movement and the mayor really isn't the person to quell popular protests. But we need to understand these protests are an important part of a healthy democracy just as much. But as what about we... the criminal activity we're seeing? Do you denounce that part of it? I understand why they're angry. But lighting fires with people inside the building, would you denounce that part of it with lighting fires, arson with people inside buildings? I'm not the person setting the fires. I'm not the person doing the graffiti. But will you denounce I'm it? I'm not here to tell them how. 
your protest. So you I don't it? smash windows. I clean, I clean up when things are unfairly targeted, but here's what I have to say. Their outrage at the police is valid, and the problem of police brutality and executing black lives in the streets is more important than petty vandalism to me. And we can't forget that in this historic moment. How does My that focus move is the city forward? How does that move? I've heard this from community members. How does this criminal activity, we're saying late at night, this fringe group, not the large peaceful protest, how does that move the city closer to racial equity and racial justice, the kind of reforms that the Black Lives Matter movement want? Even black community leaders and activists are all saying it's taking away from that message to say all saying is unfair black portland is not a monolith i know many black portlanders who support a range of approaches to how we're doing protesting i don't condone violence but i'm also going to continue to make sure that our focus stays on black lives matter protests the police have not done a good job of policing the police and so for chief lavelle to respond to protest about police brutality with more police brutality, it undermines what we're trying to accomplish. We need Portland police de-escalating, not declaring riots and then tear gassing Portlanders and beating them with batons in the streets as we saw last night. It's not going to stop until we admit that the police brutality is what people are protesting. And until the police brutality stops and accountability is mandated, then the protests are not going to stop. And that's why I think the answer is not what does the mayor do today, but what we should have been doing years ago in terms of how we satisfy the community demands for justice. Uh, this is an important part of how we move the conversation forward. Peaceful protests, in my opinion, might not necessarily be moving the conversation forward. And so we have to look at this as part of a healthy democratic process. Well, let me read you something that um, a quote from you. From, let me read you a quote from a Playboy article from December of 2019 called Antifa in Focus. You were quoted as saying, our society's lack of awareness and understanding on the issue is extremely disappointing talking about anti-fascism because the problem exists within the system. It's important we use radical tactics, though I definitely think electoral politics matter, and that's why I'm running, referring to your run for mayor. What radical tactics specifically are you talking about? Are you talking about some of the things we're seeing in the streets? What's radical is defunding militarization and investing in food pantries. What's radical is stopping the militarization of our police force and making sure that our families have access to universal uh, pre-K programs. These right-wing types call me an anarchist and a communist and a terrorist because they're scared of progressives who stand up to bullies. We've seen it again and again. And there are right-wing smears out there who try to make being anti-fascist something that you should be against. It's 2020. If you support fascism, you shouldn't vote for me. I'm anti-fascism. I don't want our country turning into what we see on The Handmaid's Tale. And part of the problem is that we've had leaders who equivocate and avoid these hard conversations we have to stand up to white nationalists. We have to oppose racism. And honestly, the only bombs I've ever thrown are on my Twitter account. And I know that my team wishes that I wouldn't, but that's the most 
that I engage well, in. Let's this. talk so about so one of those bombs that you threw. Uh, I do want to talk about yeah. one of those bombs you <laughs> threw um, because you've, you've been angry at, at Mayor Wheeler through the campaign and you were uh, angry and frustrated, I think, uh, at this tweet that you sent July 2nd from your personal account after uh, I think an individual had their camera taken and you ended it with F you, Ted Wheeler, seriously. Uh, what prompted that and is that appropriate, a tone for a, a mayoral candidate? In part, it's the tone of this race, because as I'm in the streets night after night, there's a chant, and it's F you, Ted Wheeler. And it's night after night from beginning to end on repeat as a lead. And our frustration is valid. We are tired of someone who's muttering, I can't wait for this term to be over. None of us can wait for his term to be over either. That was not just someone in the streets. That was a community journalist who crowdsource that camera so he can cover issues of homelessness. And when I see the police brutalizing journalists, when I see them brutalizing legal observers, when I see them brutalizing and tear gassing medics, I'm tired of it. I want a mayor I can trust. I don't want a mayor who is muttering that he can't wait for his turn to be over and, you know, breaking campaign finance regulations. I want to believe in this city and I want to believe in our leadership again. And yeah, I'm passionate about that. But those are my friends out there. Those are my kids' friends. Those are my colleagues. Those are professors and nurses and, um, you know, lawyers who are out in the streets. This isn't a fringe movement. These are people who are fighting for justice and fighting for the future of our city. Let me ask and you. I really a, don't see like to see them realized. Let me ask you a quick question before we go to a break. If you're a mayor, traditionally the mayor is police commissioner. Would you be police commissioner, or would you hand that off to Joanne Hardesty? As you mentioned, she said she'd like that, or maybe one of your other uh, commissioner colleagues. You know, listening to Commissioner Hardesty on this issue is so important for us as Portlanders. She's been a leader on this for decades, and if that's something that she wants to do and she believes that that's what would take to rebuild trust with the rest of the city, even as the mayor's trust is at all-time lows, then I would certainly support her request in that. And as I said, I published an op-ed piece um, you know, almost 18 months ago, I think it was now, suggesting that the mayor do just that long before there was the civil rights uprising. Sarah Iannarone, thank you. We need to take a break, but we'll come back with more with Sarah Iannarone, Portland mayoral candidate. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Welcome once again to my guest, Portland mayoral candidate, Sarah Iannarone. Sarah, thanks again for being here. Thanks. I'm happy to be with you today, Laurel. Let's turn to the pandemic. It's had a big impact on everyone I know, on your family as well. You said you think the governor should call for going back to a stay home order. Why is that? This disaster is on an unthinkable scale. More than 300 Oregonians have lost their lives, 100 people in Multnomah County, and those deaths could have been prevented. And if we want our schools to be able to reopen, we need to flatten the curve with greater urgency. I have the luxury of listening to science and not business on this because I'm running a small donor grassroots publicly financed campaign. And so the people who fund my campaign really want to make sure that we're not sacrificing human lives for profits. As you alluded to, the small business that I co-founded had to close because of COVID, costing my former partner his small business and my daughter, they both lost their jobs. and. 
as much as I wish they had those back and that that business didn't have to close, I would never trade lives of them or any of our workers or neighbors for that because we can recover from a recession, but we can't come back from the grave if we're dead. And so I have called for the tightening on social distancing, on rethinking, reopening, and specifically how we get more aid, including supplemental income. I've called for universal basic income that I'll try to fund on day one. And it seems like the conservatives who are worried about this price tag, they're not thinking about it in terms of loss of human lives. Uh, we had a moment on the national stage recently where our leadership could have been calling for increased funding for our vulnerable communities. But instead, you know, there were other discussions being had. And so I have a plan for recovery. I don't know how much time we have to talk about it, but I do want to think about how we can make investments in our Green New Deal and utilize the Portland Clean Energy Fund and other sources of revenue to actually power us through our recovery while we're meeting our climate goals. So if you were mayor, would you push for a stay home order again? In the short term, I would, but it needs to be supported economically. And so, again, we have to make sure that we're making it possible, not just for people to stay at home when they can, making sure that our people deemed essential workers have their proper protections that they need and making sure that we're working from a disaster response model. If this were an earthquake and we would have every resource mobilized to make sure our families were sheltered and fed and had water and everything they need. And I don't know that we're mobilizing the same response to COVID, even though it's likewise a disaster. We only have a couple of minutes left, but I did want to touch on affordable housing because you've been highly critical of the mayor on how he's addressed the issue of affordable housing. He said in spite of the COVID crisis, the city's still on track on all 10 Portland housing bond projects. He said there are now 1,454 additional units of permanently affordable bond housing to house an estimated 2,975 people. If you're mayor, what promises can you make for more affordable housing? Do you have a specific number and how would you pay for it beyond the bonds voters have already passed? And, and just a couple of minutes. And I'll talk about this in terms of trust because that number is not accurate. Those are pipelines. Those are housing units in the pipeline and people don't live in pipelines. They, leave, they live in completed housing. And the progress that his administration has made on affordable housing is shameful. He put himself in charge of that housing bureau because he ran on that issue. And really the most meaningful progress on those issues has come from Commissioner Udaley and Commissioner Hardesty. Why are we not calling for a residential and commercial rent freeze while we're guaranteeing income to Portlanders so that people don't become increasingly homeless? I mean, we have recession and job losses coming. So even the little bit amount of progress that he's made on his watch, that's gonna even trickle further. We need to make sure that we're unleashing the capacity of this city, leaving no stone unturned and, and using everything in our toolkit to get people into housing, um, not just in the short term, but permanently with supportive services that they need to stay housed. Sarah, we have uh, just over a minute, minute 15 left, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to have a final message for our viewers. You know, Laurel, thank you so much for having me on this show and helping expose that it is possible for Portlanders to have an alternative in this next election. The status quo is clearly not working. The incumbent is promising us more of the same. And I think that Portlanders are tired of their biggest issues 
being used as a political football. They want someone who's going to come in and lead this city, and they want someone they can trust. Because I'm a publicly financed candidate on track to set city elections records for the most number of donors ever, this is going to be an administration that has its doors open to the people, that's leaving no idea off the table, and that is mobilizing all of our resources to solve our most great, our most pressing issues and our biggest problems. I hope folks will check out my website, sarah2020.com, and get involved. It's going to be important. It's critical that we have new leadership at this time. And I appreciate folks for staying involved in this election. The most important thing they can do is remember to vote. That's right. On November 3rd, that'll be coming up. Thank you, Sarah Ayanarone. As you mentioned, I appreciate your being here. There's so much more to learn on her positions. You can check out her website, sarah2020.com. And I want to thank you for watching and listening. Don't forget to download our new podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for KGW Straight Talk. And we have another election coming up. Don't forget the special election to fill the late Nick Fish's city council seat. It's coming up on Tuesday, August 11th. Your ballot's due back at 8 o'clock. We'll have the winner of that race on the show next week. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.